Our text this afternoon is from Galatians chapter 6, beginning in the 11th verse. Hear now the word of the Lord to you. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Mm. Lord Jesus, thank you that you were crucified for us, for us, for the sins of the whole world, even for ours. Thank you, Lord Christ. Thank you that you set your face, as it were, like flint to come down from that mound of glory of transfiguration and to head toward Jerusalem, toward the cross, toward an exodus you would make there for us, all of us, by your dying for our sins and then rising again to give us your life. Lord Jesus, may the cross today and all throughout this season and all throughout our lives for that matter, may it in a new way be our boast. May we put no confidence in the flesh, but boast in your cross and take up the way of your new creation, which is a pattern of death and resurrection, which will bless us and bless the world. We pray it all, Lord Christ, in your name and for your name's sake. Amen. Don't chew gum in class. Turn your papers in on time or lose a letter grade automatically. Don't text and drive. Don't try to cross the center line when it's a double yellow to pass. Uh, Don't keep your cell phones or other devices active. Put them in airplane mode when the cabin door is closed. Uh, If your neighbor bothers you, you do not have a right to shoot them. Rules. Rules. We need rules. Rules are good things. We need rules to play games, three strikes and you're out. You know, don't step on the baseline in basketball. You need rules to play games. You need rules to do life. You need rules to build a society. Rules are good. When rules are gone, bad things happen. Fran and I always chuckle about a time where um, 
I, I, I coached all kinds of youth sports with my children as they were growing up, and I coached my son Jim's soccer team. He was our fourth kid. Unlike Matt, I know nothing about soccer, but by kid number four, I had learned a little bit. And our U4, U5, and U6 team, the Orange Crush, was pretty good there in Austin. We didn't lose many games, and Fran was even a better coach than I was. When I'd be gone on a trip, she would fill in for me, except for one day she had to fill in and the other coach decided there would be no rules. Uh, there were no referees in the U5 and 6 leagues. The coaches would come out on the field and they each had a whistle and they sort of self-called the games. Our kids knew that when the ball went out of bounds, you stopped or when it went behind the goal, you couldn't dribble it back on the field and score a goal. But their kids didn't know that and their coach didn't want to play by any rules. And so the game was lost in more ways than one. <laughs> Rules, you need them. But rules are never the main thing, right? Rules create space for us to live in spaces of blessing. If there are rules, for instance, about marriage, rules about divorce, rules about against polygamy, right? What are they there for? To give us space inside of a marriage to go deep, to, to be blessed, to love one another, and to receive love back. Rules sort of create the space like the lines on a field to, to play the game. That's what Paul's been telling the Galatians. Don't, don't think that Christianity is about rules. It's never about rules. God put old rules in place about circumcision, about uh, eating certain kinds of foods, or eating even with certain peoples who only believed in the Lord and who were a part of his people. He had those old rules in place to give space inside of which he would bless his people in the old covenant years, the, the season of Israel being God's people alone. And people could come into Israel and be marked by these things and come into that space of these rules and find blessing. But it was always by grace inside of that space. It was always in the hope of meeting God there in his mercy and his goodness, not by keeping the rules. And so this whole letter of Galatians is right, Paul writing to Christians, Jews and Gentiles, to say, don't think that it was ever about keeping the rules. The rules created space to know me, and now there are different rules. We don't have circumcision anymore. We have baptism, so don't think that you have to put on those old rules to live in this whole new era where now there's no more blood shed anymore because the blood of Jesus has once for all been shed to give life to the whole world of people who would come inside of this space. You don't have to worry about who you eat with or don't eat with or what kind of foods you put because God has now declared all things clean. This is a more open space. And so don't think it's about these rules. Don't let anybody put that on you. But interestingly here, in this whole letter that's been about freedom and about knowing the mercy and the forgiveness and the welcome and the love of Christ, he finishes this letter by saying, I want you to keep one rule. There's a rule here that I want you to keep to find mercy and blessing. And it's a beautiful rule for a Lenten reflection. And the rule is this, it almost has three parts to it. It's almost like a waltz dance step, if you will. The first is, Stop boasting in the flesh. 
Don't let your own heart or the minds or the voices of others press on you to think that following Jesus is about doing great things for him in your own strength. Stop trusting and boasting in your flesh. Now, when you hear that phrase flesh, your mind might immediately go where mine tends to go. When Paul writes about the word, uses that word flesh, a lot of times he's using flesh in the sense of talking about bad things, sinful things, immoral activities. He got a list, right, just a chapter earlier of the deeds of the flesh, right, or of, of lust and immorality and gossip and slander and hatred and murderous thoughts. He says, don't live this way. Put off these deeds of the flesh. But Paul will very quickly shift gears and use the flesh in a different way to describe what we think we can accomplish, maybe even especially in a religious sort of way, in our own power and strength. What we think we can do to earn God's favor, to merit some standing with God and with others. And Paul says here and elsewhere, put no confidence in the flesh. Lent can be a dangerous time for us if we are not careful. Because what can happen if you decide, well, I'm going to put off chocolate, I'm going to put off sweets, I'm going to put off watching television, I'm going to put myself off of social media, I'm going to put on extra Bible reading or extra prayer times, or I'm going to take up this app and follow this Lenten series of devotional thoughts. And we can think if we do these things, we're a better person. We're a better Christian. And what we've done with these activities is reduce them to fleshly boasting, fleshly confidence. What do we need to put off in Lent above all else? Any confidence in our own strength. What we need to put off at Lent is trust in anywhere, in anything, in anybody, save for Christ crucified. Lent is a time to collapse, as my friend Scotty Smith loves to say, to collapse onto the mercies of Jesus anew. So whatever you're choosing to do, this Lenten season, if it's giving up something, uh, don't f- just sort of freak out about or fixate on how well you're doing that, how well you're keeping your Lenten checklist. Rather, realize in that space, like if we're giving up something, to realize that's to show me how much I don't have strength in myself and how much I need Jesus and his mercy and his grace. Put no confidence in the flesh. That's the first step of the rule that he leaves us with. The second is, but rather, boast in the cross of Christ. It's important to put ourselves back into that first century context when the gospel was so fresh, when this wonder of God taking on human flesh, coming among us to die for the sins of the world, to to win great victory of glory for himself and great blessing for all of us by going to the cross. This is 
this is a kind of glory. This is a kind of message. This is a kind of good news gospel that is unlike anything else the world ever has before or since had to offer. We can get so accustomed to it. We've heard this message, perhaps many of us, all of our lives. You can get sort of numb to it and kind of soul dead to it. Wake up to this afresh that this is the most wonderful thing imaginable that God himself would come in human flesh to die for the sins of the world, even mine and even yours, and boast there. What do we boast about typically, right? Things we're proud of that we or a family member has accomplished or our team has won or our country has done. We like to boast in these things. We like to boast in something we've seen that captures us, a a beautiful wedding, a beautiful moment, a place we've seen, something we've We've observed in all of creation that is glorious. What is to capture our hearts this way more than anything else, Paul says, what is to be that which just makes us proud is that the very Son of God would be crucified for us. That's what we fixate on. That's what we revel in. That's what we want to share as the great news that captures our hearts. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. Um, uh, Fran and I had the privilege to do this one time, but Richard John Newhouse writes, the Catholic priest, uh, in his book on, on sort of Good Friday, uh, about the last words of Christ. He, he writes in that book, of, of you, there's a space you can stand in in Manhattan when you look across the street this way, and you see the 30 Rock building, and you see the Golden Atlas standing out there holding up the world on his shoulders. And you can look the other direction over into St. Patrick's Cathedral, and you can walk in there and see the amazing crucified Christ at the front of that sanctuary, laid out with a crown of thorns on his head, bleeding hands inside. And Newhouse writes that on every Good Friday rite, there's this moment that the doors of the cathedral are open and they're kept open for that space of the three hours of Christ's crucifixion. And you can literally stand on the street corner and decide, do I want to look over there and make that my boast of a golden statue of a man sort of being strong enough and powerful enough to hold the whole world on his shoulders and as it were conquer and to be gilded in that way? Or do I want want to look at the Son of God become man, stretched out on that cross to die for the sins of the world, to, 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 to reign and live and conquer by losing? And we choose which God is our boast. Which hope is our life? Fran and I have sat there, not, not, on, not on Good Friday, but we, we've stood there and sort of pondered that, walking into the cathedral and then looking over there. That's what Lynn is about for us. To help us ponder anew and to say, I want to put off the false gods, the false hopes, the, the false powers, and I want to revel and boast anew in Christ crucified. For me. That's why that reflection in the front of the bulletin said, Lent is not morose. It's not a time of just darkness and sadness. It's a, it's a time of lengthening where we, where we find the church's springtime to be renewed as we look with joy and wonder at Christ crucified for us. 
N.T. Wright writes about this very passage, the New Testament scholar, Anglican bishop. He writes and he says, there's, this is just a reminder that there is only one pedestal in the kingdom of God. Only one. And Christ himself is raised on it. But it's not a throne per se now. Or it's not some great grandstand. It is a cross upon which he is stretched out whom he makes his chariot and makes his throne to bring life for the world. Let's learn to boast there, to revel there. Take longer looks at your sin and your need, yes, in this season, to take even longer looks at the wonder that Christ has come and lived and died for you. Step one, stop trusting in your own flesh. Put it off. Step two, boast rather in the cross of Christ. And step three is begin to live the patterns of his new creation. We not only get the privilege like little children watching their famous, you know, favorite athletes, basketball players or baseball players, you know, shoot the free throw the way their favorite player does or stand in the batter's box the way do, we do. We, we not only get to emulate Jesus in this way, we actually, Paul says here and elsewhere, are born again to a whole new way of life. We're brought into a whole way of new creation. We are born again to a living hope, yes, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that we may carry our cross and follow him, that we may die daily to bring blessing to those around us in Jesus' name. This is what you're made for. Let remind you of this. So don't let whatever you've decided to give up or put on get in the way of you serving and loving others in Jesus' name. May it be unto that. Uh, as, as Isaiah warned, don't fast in such ways that you're going to end up being angry at those around you or oppressing those around you further. Rather, if you're doing any kind of fasting, let it be to relieve their oppression and to bless them and to encourage them. You are brought into a new world. God is making a new world right in the middle of his old one. And let reminds us of this as springtime is coming, that we are born again to be people of the cross together with Jesus. I've talked about this book once before. Uh, it's one of my all-time favorites. Not a lot of people have read it. It's called A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving, and I'm not a huge John Irving fan, but this book, I, I just cannot get enough of it. I've decided I'm going to read it again, uh, even in the next couple of weeks, while, while reflecting on this illustration. But the main character is Owen, and he is this quirky little guy, and he's got this funny voice, and there are so many comical, amazing things that the book takes you through, but it has this poignant seriousness about it. And I don't want to ruin anything about the book, but Owen sort of has this one thing that he's fixated on. He calls it his shot, and he and his best friend will go all throughout their growing up and work on this shot together. I won't tell you what it is. It looks ridiculous. It's odd. Why does Owen want to keep working on this shot? But what you discover is, as the story goes on, is the shot is actually what Owen's whole life is about. The shot is what his whole life is a pre preparation for as he goes off to fight in Vietnam. And he, he uses all that training with the shot 
to bring blessing to a whole group of people around him. I won't say more. That's what we're called to do, to, to practice our shot, to practice the ways of dying to bring blessing to others because Christ is so done for us. That's the rule, and, and Paul says it's a rule because it just creates space for you to live and dance in this gospel, to keep again and again putting off any confidence in yourself, boasting in Christ and Him crucified, and then living in the ways of His cross. And we get to keep that rule, and we get to keep dancing that waltz. And blessing comes to us as He says, peace and mercy be on all those who keep this rule. And on all the true Israel of God, that is the church of Jesus Christ, now scattered throughout the whole world. As you will come to be marked with the sign of the cross if you choose to receive the ashes. Let that stay with you. I will not boast in myself. I am only dust, and to dust I will return. But I want to be marked with the cross to revel in my Savior crucified for me. And I want the cross to mark my life now and forever until he comes again. Let's pray together. Lord Christ, we so thank you for this rule in a section of Scripture given over to preaching to us the freedom that can be ours in you, Jesus. What a wonder here is we are given here a rule, space by which we may celebrate the gospel and live in that freedom, to put off confidence in the flesh, to boast in you and you alone, Jesus, to put you up on that pedestal. And Lord, to be given over to the way of the cross ourselves, to come and follow you, to carry our crosses and come after you in that journey to Jerusalem. So Lord, hear us, meet us. I pray for any here today to which this may all be new. May you give them life and hope and blessing. For those of us who have heard this many times, may we hear it afresh. May you break into our hearts anew. If there are hard places in them, in us, Lord, crack them open and pour this balm of renewing grace down deep in us. Change us, O oh Lord. May this lengthening season be filled with hope and joy and renewing grace. We pray it all in your name. Amen.